the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Paul says, even I, as an apostle of Christ who have brought you to faith in Christ, if I preach a gospel contrary to this, may I be doomed for all of eternity in hell. If an angel preached to you something contrary to this message, may that angel go to hell. That, that's, that's strong language. Anathema, in the sense of eternal judgment. That is strong language indeed. In fact, I think I remember once getting into big, big trouble with my mother when I was a kid for telling someone to go straight to that awful place. But the Apostle Paul was not pulling any punches when it came to expressing how seriously God takes the teaching of false doctrine. So on that not-so-cheerful note, welcome to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class led by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. I'm Jerry Peterson. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside, and these daily Bible lessons are an outgrowth of his pulpit ministry. We're engaged in a study of 2 Peter chapter 2 a section of scripture that I doubt anyone would claim as their favorite. Many people say that it doesn't matter what we believe, just that we believe something. You know, you got to have faith. But what we believe and teach has eternal significance. There are heresies that lead to an eternal lake of fire. And that's why Peter offered such stern warnings about false teachers. So here's Pastor Steve to continue our lesson in 2 Peter chapter 2. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. We want to continue in our study of Peter's second letter. And though we've been in chapter 2 for a while, we want to see it in context. So I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 9. Peter writes, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man, while living among them, felt his uh, his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds, then... The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day 
of judgment. Now with these words, and they're very strong words, the Apostle Peter reveals how serious and dangerous false teaching and false teachers really are. Why? Because he tells us that false teaching propagates error that leads people, first of all, to hell. That's when he says in verse 1, he speaks about destructive heresies. They're heresies that destroy the soul, that if embraced, lead one to damnation. Also, he says, they lure people into a lifestyle of sensual behavior. He mentions that in verse 2. Many will follow their sensuality. Why? Because the truth is not important to them. What's important to them is to feel good and to have pleasure. Thirdly, he mentions that they financially exploit. They rob people. What do they uh, rob them with? They sell false words. They sell false doctrine. They, they They tell error and people buy into it. And because of the immense evil involved in being a false teacher, Peter goes on to declare emphatically that God is going to eternally judge those who mislead others because false teaching is just that serious. But I'm I'm not convinced that uh, many Christians today uh, understand the ramifications of that and really comprehend how serious it is to teach false doctrine. I'll tell you why I don't believe that many Christians really grasp that, because many don't understand the role that sound teaching plays in the church. If you don't understand the importance of sound teaching, then you cannot grasp the uh, the seriousness and danger of false teaching. Why do I say that many don't understand the role of sound teaching? Because in our culture, In the United States, in evangelical churches, we have de-emphasized the role of teaching. And it's been replaced by a host of other things. Uh, Teaching has been replaced in many churches by entertainment and uh, uh, much music and, and drama. And when you get away from sound doctrine and these other things come in, then the church loses its discernment. When false teaching is taught, they're, they're not grounded in the truth. They're not discerning enough to understand this is error. This is off. And therefore, the church is weakened. False teaching is very serious, very serious, because what you are taught determines what you believe about God. And there's nothing more important than that. What you believe about God determines your eternal destiny. Whether you have heard the truth of the grace of God as revealed in Christ or whether you're going to try to get to heaven by being good and you will end up in hell. Sound teaching is important because it tells us the truth. False teaching is horrible and evil because it tells us lies about God and leads us to hell. And once you have heard the truth about Jesus and you have come to trust him as Lord and and Savior, then what you are taught determines how you live whether you live a life that is pleasing to the Lord or not. And that's serious stuff. That's what life is all about. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, we make it our ambition to be pleasing to him. So that's what life for us is about, pleasing the Lord. And you must know the truth in order to please him. But error will lead you astray. And it will not only lead you away from God, but it will eventually lead you into a Christless eternity. And so how serious is God about false teaching? Very serious. In fact, there are some of the strongest pronouncements in the word of God concerning false teachers and false teaching. In 1 Timothy 4.1, in fact, let me read this to you, and if you can find it quickly, that's fine. But 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith. They will apostatize. Some will have claimed to know Christ, but they will fall away because they never really knew him. 
And he says, why will they fall away? Because they will be paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. That's false teaching. All false teaching has Satan behind it. Every cult, every false religious system is satanic. Is satanic. Whether they hold to a personal belief in, in Satan or not is irrelevant. It is satanic. And Satan's goal is to lure people away from the truth. It started in Genesis 3 when he deceived Eve and lured her away from the truth to believe a lie about God, which has affected us ever since. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the apostle Paul said that I am concerned for you uh, because I, because based on what Satan is, has done with Eve and deceiving her, I see that you are in danger of being deceived and drawn away from simplistic devotion to Christ. And there he means simplistic in a good sense, simple and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, the Apostle Paul, in very strong language, tells us how dangerous it is to teach false doctrine about the gospel. And that's what we're talking about now. Chapter 1, verse 6, I am amazed, he says, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of God for a different gospel. Now, these people came to know Christ. They professed faith in Christ, the Galatians. They were saved by the grace of God. But there were people known in the Bible as Judaizers, legalists, who came in and said, it's not enough that you simply believe in Jesus. You must also practice the law of Moses to be saved. So they combined works with grace, and Paul calls it a different gospel. And then he clarifies it in verse 7 by saying this, which is really not another I mean, there's only one gospel. It's not another. They claim that it's one. He says, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There's only one gospel, one gospel, but some distort it. And then he says, but even if we, and this is hypothetical, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he's to be accursed. Paul says, even I, as an apostle of Christ who have brought you to faith in Christ, if I preach a gospel contrary to this, may I be doomed for all of eternity in hell. If an angel preached to you something contrary to this message, may that angel go to hell. That, that's, that's strong language. Anathema in the sense of eternal judgment. And so false doctrine is important. This is not just an academic study. It's the difference between heaven and hell. False doctrine. Those who preach another gospel, Paul says, may they be eternally damned. It is that serious to lead people astray. Which is precisely Peter's point in chapter 2 of his second epistle. After telling us how dangerous false teachers really are, Peter declares that God will someday judge them. And the proof of that is, is that in the past, God pronounced judgments on others. And Peter cites three examples in the Old Testament of, uh, of God's judging hand. He speaks of angels, of the world of Noah's day, and then beginning with verse 6, which we want to study this morning, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, why would Peter, when you have many, many examples in the Old Testament of judgment, why would Peter focus on just this three, just these three? Let me suggest to you that there were reasons, specific reasons, why Peter focused on these three. First of all, angels. Why did he speak about the fallen angels? Let me suggest to you because that would communicate to these false teachers, these men, that if God didn't spare the exalted creatures known as angels, then certainly he's not going to spare them, though they may be exalted in the community. 
though they may be prominent people in the community. You know, some of the uh, false teachers on television today who write many books, who are very, very popular, uh, prominent people in the community, yet they're false teachers. And they should not think that because they're so well-known and they sell so many books that they will be spared from judgment. That's that's Peter's point in, in, in essence, in principle. The exalted angels weren't spared. Don't think you would be spared either. Secondly, he mentions the entire world of Noah's day, and I think the emphasis here is that entire world of billions of people. If he judged an entire world of people, then certainly he won't spare the false teachers, though they be growing in numbers as well. I think there the emphasis is on numbers and and quantity, because he mentions in verse 5 that he preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others. He mentions a number there. So that seems to be his emphasis that that. God wiped out an entire world and he won't hesitate to judge the many false teachers. Now, we come this morning to Sodom and Gomorrah. Why did God judge Sodom and Gomorrah? Why does Peter mention this? I should put it that way. Why does Peter mention this? Well, I think it's very clear as you read on in the chapter. It's because like the citizens of these two ancient cities, the false teachers of Peter's day were involved in sexual misbehavior. God judged the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I might add, there were three other cities in that plain. It wasn't just those cities. There were five cities altogether, but the two prominent ones were Sodom and Gomorrah because of their homosexual behavior. And therefore, as you read on in chapter two of this letter, it becomes very clear that the false teachers of Peter's day were involved in immorality. It's not to say they were involved in homosexual behavior. Uh, That may have been the case. We don't know that, but they certainly were involved in immorality. Why do I say that? Well, let's look at some of the verses. Verse 2, which we looked at before, we read, many, he says, will follow their sensuality. So uh, already we're introduced to their sensuality. Drop down, if you will, to verse 10. And especially, he says, uh, those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires. So they're involved in fleshly, sensual Peter says, corrupt desires. Verse 14, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. So these men, I take it, looked upon every woman as an opportunity to commit adultery with her. Eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. Then in verse 18, Peter says, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. So when you put this all together, you get a very clear picture that these men were immoral. They were having sexual behavior outside of the legitimate ways that God says, which is only in marriage. And Peter's point seems to be this. If God once judged an entire community of those who were involved in sexual immorality, then certainly won't spare the centrally oriented false teachers either. That seems to be his point. But I want you to notice, as we read before, Peter doesn't limit his comments just to the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah or or to the destruction, I should say, of Sodom and Gomorrah. He also brings in a Bible character by the name of Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew. He was a true believer, though he didn't always live like that. He lived in the city of Sodom, and he was rescued from its destruction. And the reason he mentions Lot, and make note of this, the reason he mentions Lot is to illustrate that if God delivered Lot from judgment, then we can be sure that he knows how to deliver Christians today from the trials that come upon them 
in being exposed to false teachers and false thinking. Notice I didn't say judgment. We'll clarify that later. But if he knows how to, to rescue Lot, he certainly knows how to rescue us from the temptations of life so that we can emerge from any temptation, any test, and any trial with our faith intact and strong. We'll have more to say as we deal with that. But that's our background. And if you're taking notes, here's where we're going with this. This is the background. The false teachers of Peter's day were immoral men who were destined for judgment. And from that, Peter proceeds to make two points. And this is what we're going to look at this morning. Number one, he proves the certainty of judgment of the ungodly by citing the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's his main point. At least that's one main point here. He cites the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. It proves that God will judge the ungodly. But secondly, he proves the certainty of deliverance of the righteous by citing the example of Lot. So let's begin by looking at the certainty of judgment for the ungodly. Verse 6, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. He's just stated that angels were judged, and the world of Noah's day were judged. And now Peter gives a third example of God's judging hand by reminding them that the ancient cities, well known to people, of Sodom and Gomorrah were judged. God dealt with them. Now, it's interesting that Peter doesn't tell us why God judged them. I I would assume that the reason that he doesn't say it is because his readers knew it, and I think most of us know it, Genesis 19 records that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of their extreme rebellion to his standards, especially in their sexual behavior. And I want you to see, just listen to this from Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 16, listen to this. Verses 49 and 50, God says, behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. Now he's saying this to Judah. This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food and careless ease, but she did not help the poor and needy. And you don't want to stop there because some will say, see, Sodom was destroyed because she was just lack of hospitality. She didn't help people. That's only part of it. She was arrogant. She had so much he only cared about herself, self-centered people. And then he says in verse 50, thus they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I removed them when I saw it. Sodom and Gomorrah were guilty of an attitude of arrogance, of rebelliousness to the Lord, and they therefore committed abominations, which primarily the, uh, the, the primary abomination would be their sexual perversion of men seeking to have relations with men. In fact, I'd like you to turn to Genesis 19. We won't go over all of it, but in Genesis 19, you see how absolutely wicked they were. Genesis 19 tells us that God said that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and he sent two angels there to do that and to rescue Lot and his family. These two angels come into the city and Lot meets them at the gate. He's never seen them. He doesn't know they're angels. They uh, are in the uh, form of two males and he uh, meets them and he invites them to his home. And they say, no, we're going to we're going to sleep out here in the square, uh, the, the city gates, the square. Lot knows the perverted behavior of the men of the city. And so he says, no, 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 you must come home with me. They come home to Lot's home. And then notice what verses four and five say. 
Before they lay down, the men of the city, notice this, the men of Sodom surrounded the house. That's Lot's house both young and old, all the people from every quarter. So it's not just a handful of filthy old men. It's young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. They wanted to have sexual relations with them. They uh, looked upon them as as uh, just two male humans, not realizing that they were angels. And that's how wicked it was that these visitors come to Lot's home. And the first thing, they're not even there at night. And these men are pressing on the door to have them. Just a horribly wicked, wicked place. In fact, in the New Testament, Jude affirms their gross immorality. In Jude, verse 7, he writes, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross, he calls it gross immorality, and went after strange flesh. I take it the, what he's talking about is they didn't go after the natural affection of men, which would be women. They perverted it. They went after men. Strange flesh, gross immorality. And so as a result of their gross immoralities, we go back to Second Peter. Peter says that God reduced these cities, and I mentioned three others, the, the whole plain, the whole area. He reduced them to ashes. That is to say that Genesis 19 tells us he destroyed them by, by miraculously, wasn't just a natural occurrence, miraculously raining down on them fire and brimstone. It's very interesting, uh, this, uh, this expression, fire and brimstone. In our, uh, our time in Italy, we had the opportunity to visit the city of Pompeii. Pompeii, as many of you know, was destroyed in 79 AD when Mount Vesuvius erupted. And it covered, first the people died from the uh, the gases that they inhaled, but then they were covered under 30 feet of ash. In fact, no one knew until the 1700s that there was even a city there. It's actually three cities that were uh, that were buried. But 30 feet of ashes, and only because they were digging for, for some things, they discovered that the city never existed again. It's interesting we, that, that this expression, reduced them to ashes, was used by an ancient writer years later to describe the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in 79 AD. Just covered the place. It reduced to ashes. And just as Pompeii was totally destroyed and devastated. It doesn't exist today. It's only a place where tourists like us go through and see. It does not exist today. There is no city that's living there. In a similar way, God sent a complete devastation and judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, the ruin is so complete that um, scholars, geographers, archaeologists don't even know to this day exactly where those cities existed. They've never been found. We do know that the general vicinity was the Dead Sea, whether it was to many thinkers to the south, some think it was to the southeast, but it was so uh, devastating that's never been rediscovered. In fact, uh, if you ever go to Israel or if you've been there, you know that the Dead Sea is a barren place now. It is a desert place. It is where, in case you're wondering, is where Masada is. It is just just really barren. There's a reason they call it the Dead Sea. And that general area, and yet in Genesis 13, we're told that it was a once fertile area, once very productive, a well-watered place, a place like the Garden of Eden, and yet now it's just barren wilderness. So God 
devastated these cities for their rebellion, and their rebellion was primarily expressed through the sin of homosexuality. Why did God destroy those two places for that particular sin when the entire ancient world, as well as the entire modern world, has consistently demonstrated rebellion against God by committing every kind of sin imaginable? And uh, no doubt a lot that you and I could never have imagined. Well, as we'll discuss on the next verse by verse, God did that for us. He wanted Sodom and Gomorrah to be warning signs so that future generations would know that God takes rebellion very seriously. Verse by Verse is a daily broadcast featuring the expository teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff, and I'm your announcer, Jerry Peterson. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. At Verse by Verse, our goal is to provide clear, practical Bible teaching that our listeners can apply to daily life. Our website is versebyverseradio.org. Stop in soon and take advantage of our free downloads of previous radio Bible classes. And if you're in Clearwater on a Sunday and want to worship with us, Pastor Steve would love to meet you. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. If you have questions about anything you heard on this program, give us a call at 727-239-0306. If you call outside business hours, leave a daytime number and someone will return your call. That's 727-239-0306. On the day that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, I'm sure that no one got up that morning thinking, well, the big day is here. Today we all die. And of course not. And it was the same in Noah's day. And three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.